0: Back in the early aughts, there was a new quasi-reality show called Pimp My Ride, (laughs) and it really stood out to me, because as I went to college, I drove an old Honda Accord, which was reliable, practical, and not too rusty. I liked the show because I was young and my car was definitely not that nice, and I could really relate to the participants. If you remember, Pimp My Ride had a straightforward premise. The show would find an old, rusty, run-down, no-good car, usually driven by some young person who couldn't afford anything different. And the show would um, hook them up by pimping their rides. Now, uh, the the show was uh, hosted by the rapper Exhibit, if you remember him. And he would take the car into the custom body shop. And based on the driver's quirks and personalities, they would uh, transform these old, horrible cars into these custom masterpieces. So they would, uh, you know, brand new paint jobs, new rims, new tires. Uh, the interiors would be plush leather, just beautiful cars after these cars were not very nice whatsoever. they turned turn into these very uh, cars that you would just think, man, if I could have that car, it'd be sweet. But some of the things that they added to these cars had completely nothing to do with, like, driving, right? Like one of the, one of the trucks, the back was turned into a ping-pong table, Some cars got uh, uh, arcade machines, shoe racks, clothes dryers. One, uh, I think an old um, uh, Cadillac got a chandelier put in it for the light. Um, And another one even had a flamethrower at the muffler. So, like, I don't know if they kept that on there to make it street legal afterwards, but uh, you don't want to tailgate that guy. (laughs) And uh, my favorite, though, is that uh, a Jeep had a chocolate fountain in the back. You know, so you, like, roll in with your Jeep, and then... You just have some fondue laying around, I guess, so you could, like, chocolate it up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that was all about, but it seemed, like, pretty cool. However, unless it needed to be done to make the car safe, one area that the custom body shop guys didn't touch was the engine. Yeah, or anything under the hood. Yep, and anything. They didn't touch the brakes, the belts, the transmission. They didn't fix the shocks. They didn't uh, weld the frame tighter or stronger. Pretty much they didn't do anything to help the structural integrity of the car. They didn't do anything to make it uh, get to work more reliably, didn't help these people drive to go see their friends. It just was a really fat, flashy car um, that nothing really was changed under the hood. So um, in fact, that you know, I was reading on the Huffington Post recently, I know a, a reliable um, source, <laughs> and they interviewed some of the show contestants about what it was like to own these cars and to be on the show. So, for example, one former participant said, um, said this, I quote, there wasn't much done under the hoods in regard to the actual mechanics of the vehicle. For the most part, it needed a lot of work done to make it a, re- a functioning regular driver, which they did not do. They added a lot of extra weight but didn't adjust the suspension to compensate, so I felt like I was in this boat. <laughs> and every time I hit a bump, the car would just bottom out and the tires would scrape inside the wheel well. Another participant had to, uh, had to rebuild their whole engine after the show because, um, on, their own, on their own dime because the engine totally died. Um, so essentially these, uh, th- these cars were all flash and no new substance. Um, I really liked this show, though, because I enjoyed the creativity of the mechanics and the people and like, the things they would think up of. Like, what, what are they going to think of next? And also, uh, I like the idea of seeing these old cars, these cars that aren't very good and cars that I probably would be driving, be brought to life. Because at one point, they were nice, new, awesome cars, and they kind of get resurrected, which is really cool. But one thing that struck me about the show as being odd was that why didn't they just give them a new car? Like, would that be so hard? Like, we'll take your old Cutlass, and we'll give you, like, a brand-new Cutlass. Or, like, we'll take your old Dodge Caravan... And give you like a brand new one. Because I'm pretty sure no matter, um, as, no matter how much people all loved all the, the awesome new things they put into the vehicle, um, I don't think anyone would complain if they just got a new car, right? Um, okay, John. So what does this have to do with the Bible, God, Jesus? Um, well, this series is all about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And it seems to me that what I do sometimes is I use Jesus to pimp out my life instead of really changing myself where it matters, which is under the hood the parts that um, I I think it's easier for me to want my exterior, the parts that people see, to be all shiny and new and appear fancy. And sometimes we use religion and God to be perceived as good, moral persons. But we don't let the encounter with Christ really change the unflattering parts of us. The deep places, the areas of brokenness and hurt and pride that have been covered over for so long, we barely know how to identify them. And like broken-down cars... Our engines are old and busted, and our relationships break down. Our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Don't worry, I won't keep this car metaphor going the whole time. <laughs> so this morning, I'd like to propose that the difference that Jesus makes in our lives is that he makes us new, capable and called to be reconciled to God and each other. The scripture that we're going to look at this morning is Second Corinthians five sixteen through 20. The passage is on your bulletin and on the screen behind me. I'm picking up at verse 16. It's so, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. It should be on the back of your paper there. Okay, so verse 16. You're welcome. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. we might become the righteousness of God. Our sermon series this month has been on the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And this morning, I'd like to remark on three observations uh, that reflect the difference Jesus makes in our lives. We'll look at how God makes us new, how God reconciles us to himself, and how God encourages us to be reconciled with each other. The first observation I'd like to look at this passage is that God makes us new. So if you're Filling along in your bulletins, that's the first blank. Verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, the new has come. Other translations have it that we are new creatures in Christ. And as one commentator put it, with Jesus, you get a fresh start. Paul, an early church leader, is writing to one of the early churches, the Corinthian church. And he's following up on his first letter to them. It seems like the Corinthian corinthians needed some changes in their behavior and in this letter paul is trying to encourage them to change their behavior um, by changing their whole mindset paul says that the old is gone and the new has come paul spends time describing the old creation and the new creation in some of his other letters to other early churches and that's the uh, basis some of the new testament and here's my quick summary of paul's point about the old self and the new self the old self is our default settings before we start to follow Jesus. For example, the default setting where I look out for my own self-interest instead at the expense of others, the default setting of lying to protect how I look to get my own way, the default setting that gives me entitlement to hold a grudge against people who have offended me. It's the setting that allows my daughter to t- take the cheerio out of her mouth, look at me mischievously, and throw it on the ground for like the hundredth time. Whereas the new self is our default setting after we begin to follow Jesus. For example, the setting where I begin to put others' interests ahead of my own. The setting where I can be honest about my mistakes and ask for forgiveness from those I've hurt. It's a setting where I can forgive those uh, who have offended me. And a setting where not only can we love our neighbors, but we can love ourselves. It's a setting that lets me get up and listen to my neighbor when he knocks on the door late at night, asking for pots and pans I might never see again. It's the default setting that reflects the grace and the love of God. Paul creates this contrast, old versus new, to encourage the Corinthians that they don't need to be beholden to their previous ways of thinking and acting, their old selves. But rather, now that they are following Jesus, they are fundamentally different from um, who they were. They're a whole new creature. By saying that old things are gone, Paul is telling the Corinthians that now there's only the new self, the new creature, the new creation. So therefore, you can act like that new creature. You don't have to act like the old one. Even Paul admits that at one point, he saw his old self through this old paradigm. He even saw Jesus this way, in a way that wasn't informed by the Holy Spirit. But he learned through the resurrection and following Jesus that God had created a new way. Paul says to see everyone in Christ as a new creation. And I was trying to think about an example of how we see people kind of maybe in a wrong, in a a different way, and maybe this transition that Paul's asking for. And I immediately thought about going home for the holidays. So if you're like me, um, whenever you're home with your family and your siblings, sometimes you end up falling back into the trap of being like, like you're 12, you know, (laughs) like you you come home and it doesn't matter how much you've grown up or how much you've changed or things you, how you've gotten perceived to be better, you still kind of fall into being the same family dynamics. So in my case, my older brother was home, Chris. And I'm very thankful to say that, like, I have a great relationship with my brother and my family. I'm very thankful for them. But sometimes when we're home, he's still the older brother, and I'm still, like, the middle, the middle child. So this kind of really got brought up when we were playing uh, a game over Christmas. We were playing the game Settlers of Catan. Now, I'm seeing some head nods So Settlers of Catan. It, so if you know the game, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, the important thing to remember about this game is that you have to trade cards to get ahead in the game. So you can't just do it on your own. you got to work with each other, make some deals, trade. And the other thing to remember is that when I was a kid, um, well, how do I say this? I mean, I might have been a sore loser. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe other people would say that. I, I, just say, I just say I like to win, and because I did it a lot, when I lost, it was a really weird experience for me. So. <laughs> Needless to say, my brother, you know, he, didn't, he never, you know, lets me forget that. And so when we get into situations where I might be beating him at something, he reminds me, you know, he keeps me honest. So we're playing this game. We're playing this game, and, uh, you know, it's about halfway through, and we're making some progress. And, you know, maybe I'm in a, in a slight lead, but, you know, if you've played this game before, you know that it doesn't really finish until the very end. And so I asked Chris, I had a card, uh, he had a card that I wanted. So hey, Chris, let's do a trade. And he's like, okay. I'm like, how about my one card? for your other card. And he's like, no, that's not good enough a deal. And I go, okay, how about two cards for that one card? And I'm starting to like overpay, right? Because it's like, I really wanted this card. So how have my two cards for your card? And he goes, no, dude, I think you're in the lead and I really don't want to help you. And I'm like, well, okay, but this also helps you because you're getting two cards and I'm just getting the one. And he's like, no, man, I- I'm not going to help you. And you always get your way. So I'm not going to help you get your way. And I'm like, a simple no would have been fine. (laughs) So I I really did want this card. So I said, okay, Chris, how about my three cards to your one? I'm super overpaying and I'm going to regret this, but I really want that card. So here's three for your one. It's a sweet deal. How can you not take it? And he goes, no, dude, because it's going to help you win. And I don't want you to win. And when you don't win, you are such, such a sort of loser. And I go, so what you're telling me is that you don't want to do this trade. And he's like, no, what I'm saying is that you're a sore loser. Like right now you're getting all upset that you're not getting this trade. And you're getting, i like, that's not fair. So we go back and forth. And of course, it's like you kind of throw your hands up and you're like, you, you chalk it up to the holidays. Sometimes it gets the best of you. But I think the biggest frustration in this setting, is not that I didn't get my cards, that I didn't win the game, but it's because my brother was not seeing me for who I really was. And it didn't give me a chance to reflect who, I didn't get a chance to be who I really was with him. And so maybe you find yourself in this similar boat where you're family and you're thinking to yourself, hey, my family's not really getting me right now. And that's kind of a bummer because I think I'm pretty great. I've grown up, I've gotten, I've changed some, and you want to show them that change. Um, so we end up doing this all the time, I think, where we look at our family through this old lens, this old paradigm. But to a greater extent, we do this to each other as well. We fall into an old way of thinking about others, uh, and we fall into an old way of thinking about ourselves. Paul says that the old is gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. Instead of treating others as our old sinful selves, where our MO is extreme self-interest, lying, cheating, manipulation, dishonesty, selfishness, or just thinking that that person is just, that's just who they are, uh, really... um, We are called to see everyone in the new light of Christ because we ourselves have been transformed into something new. I don't want you to see me as the old, angry, uh, middle child. I want you to see Jesus reflected through me. Now, when we look at this passage, there is one part that may trip us up, especially if you've grown up in the church. Um, It's the part that lets the shame monster rear its ugly head, and and that's the word if. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Well, there you go, you think. Maybe I'm really not in Christ enough. We hear a conditional word, and we think that the, we don't meet the condition. Really, I think this is less about what Paul's trying to say, maybe more about my own, my own stuff. Um, when I hear the if word, my uh, shame response gets triggered. I feel like somehow I'm not good enough, or that I didn't do enough, or to the extent it's up to me, uh, I failed. I'm not in Christ enough. I like to think that my thinking on this matter has matured as I've grown older and I've followed Jesus. This if is less about being a yardstick to measure up to, but rather an encouragement. Look at who Paul's talking to. He's talking to the Corinthian church. These folks were Christians. Paul started their church, and now he's writing to them uh, on how to move forward as Christians and grow in their faith. He's not questioning the work that God has done, but rather encouraging the Corinthians uh, about what God has already done and how they should operate out of that fact. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Paul's saying, hey, guys and gals, you're in Christ. Therefore, you're a whole new thing. You can live out of the new way. You don't have to live out of the old way. God has made you a new creation. He's making us new. So, and I was reflecting on um, how God makes us new when I was looking at this passage. And I thought back to a recent time here at Mosaic, and Recently, um, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that I think really illuminates why following him is so meaningful and difference-making. Before the music starts most Sundays, we have uh, a prayer team that comes up, and they offer words of encouragement, and um, they say, hey, you know, here's some things that God might be doing. If this resonates with you, come on up and get some prayer. So a lot of, a lot of mornings, I'm just like, that's cool. Like, I'm really excited for people who are getting prayer, but I think to myself, that's not really, it's not really me. You know, I'm cool being over here. But this morning... Um, I really had the sense of like, no, I really, I want to get prayer. And these words like seem really applicable. Um, so I go, I go up to get prayer and Kenny's praying for me. So if he's here, thank you, Kenny. Um, and I don't remember exactly what Kenny prayed. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the, the words he said that were magical or anything like this, but it was a chance to encounter the Holy Spirit. And so it's hard to talk about, um, what it's like to encourage the encounter the Holy Spirit. Uh, cause I think for each person, it's a little bit different. Um, But if you were to look at me that morning, I'm just this grown man in the corner kind of sobbing and crying and looking like a hot mess. And you kind of think to yourself, that's kind of weird. Maybe I don't want that because I like to be put together. Um, But don't worry, there's lots of tissues over there if that ever happens to you. Um, And it doesn't always, you know, countering God doesn't always make me cry and and turn into a hot mess. But in this morning, it did. And I I was thinking to myself, why was this? It wasn't tears of sadness or tears of um, kind of bad feelings, but really kind of just being overwhelmed, like my body didn't know how, know how to respond. And so I'm getting prayer, and I'm thinking, you know, hearing from God and trying, like, what, what is this impression I'm getting? And lots of times when I want to hear from God, I'm trying to pray things like, hey, God, t-, you know, tell me how to do this, or tell me how to do that, or tell me how to help this person, or help that person. But in some ways, that's really kind of keeping God's at, like, arm's length, because you're like, I just want God to, like, download something to me so I can, like, pass it off, you know? But in this morning, I really feel like God was piercing through all those things and just saying, John, like all those things are amazing, but when you follow me, what you get is you get me, you get God. When you follow Jesus, you get Jesus. So it's simple, yet profound. We get God. Knowing his love and experiencing his love, you know, it changes my default settings. It gives me hope and encouragement to trust God and have faith in God. It affirms me. We get God. And I think this brings us to our second observation from this passage. And that's that God reconciles us to himself. So if you're writing along, I think this is our second second blank. Excuse me real quick. Because we are new creations, we are, um, we are called to be reconciled to God. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's work in creating us new is that we can connect to God. It's not our own strengths or abilities, discipline or self-determination to be connected to God. Rather, verse 19 tells us that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God is constantly reaching out to us, and he demonstrated this through the life and love of Jesus. Now, when I hear uh, reconcile or reconciliation, I think my mind usually goes to uh, the definition that means uh, like making peace or making up, right? And it's not that that doesn't, that meaning of that word doesn't apply here, but I think the sec- another definition is um, part of the equation. And that definition that, um, of reconciliation is being compatible with, or being made compatible with, or, or harm- harmonious. In some ways, making peace with God um, could be thought of as a one-and-done transaction. Parties that make peace, you know, they can walk away afterwards. But if you're making someone compatible with someone else, there's this sense that there's an ongoing relationship here. The work of God not only reconciles us to God in the sense that we are at peace with him, but also in the sense that we are now compatible with God. The creation is at harmony with God instead of conflicted. We now can uh, connect and be connected to God in a way that was impossible before Jesus. Um, A little while ago, which I guess is a little further than a while ago, but before law school um, and before living in Philly, Brianna and I had a chance, my wife Brianna and I had a chance to go to Rome. And if you've ever been to Rome, it's awesome. If you haven't, it's wonderful. We feel very thankful that we had a chance to be there. Um, This city is amazing. There's architecture, people, uh, gelato, of course, and... um, I love to take photos. So it's just like perfect. So I'm taking photos everywhere. It's like all these photos. And of course I was like, I'm going to take all the photos and then I'm going to look through them and I'm going to delete the ones I don't like. Well, of course that never happened. So I have all these photos from Rome. And I remember one day we were walking around and there was a really opportune time for some amazing photo. And I go to take the the picture. And of course the battery's dead. You're like, ah. So I used up my battery. And this is before like my iPhone and before, like all these fun things in your camera. So you actually kind of had to use your camera because like, I think there was only like flip phones at the time. And it's like, you can't take pictures of Rome with like your flip phone, <laughs> you know? Um, but I said, Brianna, what are we going to do? And she goes, don't worry. We've got the charger at the hotel. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, we've got the charger. We'll go to the charger. So we spend the rest of the day together and um, it's wonderful. We, we check out the architecture, the people, the gelato, you know, there's lots of gelato eating in Rome And we get there and um, we get back to the hotel and we go to plug in the camera charger. So I grab the charger. I see the wall. I'm like, where's an outlet? I unplug a lamp and I go to put the charger in. And it's just not working. And I go, okay, I have to look at this a little closer. So I look at the, appear at the outlet and the outlet has two, two holes, two holes. And then the charger has three prongs. So I said, oh, there's a problem here. It's not, this is not going to work. I'm like, well, maybe if I just, you know, kind of tweak it and You know, no, that wasn't gonna work. Brianna's like, you need the adapter. You gotta have the adapter. And I'm like, oh no, we forgot the adapter because you're packing so much stuff. The little adapter's super easy to forget. So I was like, what are we going to do? And she's like, well, we can go buy one tomorrow. But, you know, we're younger, and in general, I hate paying for tourist prices. So you're like, I'm not going to buy, like, that $1,000 charger that was I already own, and you can buy for, like, 5 bucks at home. So we started hunting around Rome, and we got to um, kind of the old town of Rome, and we found this, like, electronic store, uh, bodega, hardware spot that you could find these real cheap adapters for, like, America to Europe power things. And it was, like five years or five bucks, which is great. So it's perfect. So I got that. We got back. We plugged in the camera, and it was perfect because it was like, I knew this was going to work because the wall was all charged up with power. I knew that. And I knew the camera battery charger worked. It just needs something kind of in the middle to connect us. And I think Jesus, just like the power adapter connected us to le- electricity, allows us to connect to God. How often we're trying to kind of jam those three prongs into a two hole, so to speak. However, through Jesus, we can connect to God, trusting In Jesus is being willing to admit that I can't make myself more like God based on my own efforts apart from God. No more than I could charge my battery without plugging it back in. Paul says in verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is the work that God does. He brings us to him and he connects us to him. God is actively bringing us to him. It's not by our doing, but by God. We are constantly being transformed and conformed to God. In Christ, we are reconciled to God. Our very nature is being transformed in a way that reflects the nature of God. And this leads us to our third observation from this passage. God encourages us to be reconciled with each other. As we experience this reconciliation with God, being at odds with each other starts to become very shaky. Part of being a new creation and knowing that others are a new creation in Christ is that we can be reconciled to each other. Verse 16 states, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. There is something larger going on here than just our personal reconciliation to God, which honestly is awesome. It's an amazing thing. But it's the beginning of the story, not the end. Paul is writing the Corinthians uh, addressing how they operated as a community and how they functioned as a group and what role they were to fulfill in God's story. Everything was not perfect in Corinth. You get the sense reading the whole book that there was discord, infighting, judgmentalism, and a slew of other behaviors uh, that detracted from the grace of God. Essentially, the Corinthians were looking at each other in the old way of thinking. The old is gone, says Paul. Paul even admits that when he looked at Jesus according to this old way of thinking... When we operate out of the old self, how easily do we judge each other based on who we perceive someone to be? Poor person, rich person. We base our judgment on folks' jobs or lack of jobs, where they live, where they're from, their marital status, whether they have kids. Um, we think somehow that these things say something about who people really are. Sometimes this is conscious and sometimes it's unconscious. But this is really the old way of thinking. The old way that Paul says is gone. That there's a new way, a better way, a way that, show, Paul says, has, past, um, has come in Christ. We are called, in light of Christ's work and the work of the Holy Spirit, to view each other as new creations, whole new creatures, even as ourselves have been made new. I think, in a small part, it's like watching a 3D movie. One necessary thing when you're watching a 3D movie is the special pair of 3D glasses. So, like, you, you know, you got to get them, and you get them out of the bag, and they're all, like, really big and obnoxious, and they don't fit great, but you need to put them on, because when you put them on and, and you watch a 3D movie, the movie becomes a little more vibrant, more alive, more beautiful, and if anything, it comes a little more interactive. I remember the first time I watched uh, a 3D movie, maybe it was Avatar, maybe it was not, I don't remember, but you wanted to kind of, like, reach out and touch something, you know, you felt like something was coming right at you, it had a d- dimension, and it had a closeness that wasn't there before, and... Um, If you take off those glasses and try to watch the movie, though, it's like blur. Everything's blurry, and uh, it gets you kind of irritable because you're just like, "Why am I watching this movie?" Like, maybe the glasses are uncomfortable, so you take them off and you're like, "I'll be fine without them." And you realize, no, I have to put them on. So even though it's like pinching you behind your ears and like digging in, you still got to wear those glasses, right? I think we look at others without our 3d glasses on we try to view them as they're these old 2d movies uh, but changing our perspective about others viewing them as new creatures is like putting on those 3d glasses the way we view others comes alive and we see the beauty uh, of that person how they reflect the image of god and how um there's something of a person of innate worthiness we see their multiple d- dimensions and instead of having people seem far away and distance Like that 2D movie, we start to see them closer as someone to interact with. We begin to see them as someone to connect with and a person who can be, uh, and we become a person who people can connect with. Instead of seeing others' differences that allows us to judge them and to find reasons why it's okay that they're over there and we're over here, um, seeing each other as new creations in Christ allows us to focus on our similarities and our commonalities, how we are compatible together, not incompatible. Therefore, as new creations in Christ, we are, co- we are made to be reconciled to God and called to extend that reconciliation to each other. In this way, God's love is shared. The sacrifice of Christ is made whole. Part of sharing the good news about Jesus to the whole world is bringing everyone together. We are part of that bringing the world together. The difference that Jesus makes in our lives is that he loves us so fully that it changes us. He brings God close to us. The love of God brings us together. As you have been listening to this talk, my hope is that it resonates somewhere within you and that you'll have a chance uh, and to be encouraged to respond. Maybe you're at the point where the appeal of being something new is very strong. The old ways, those default settings, haven't got you where you'd like to be. Your distance from God, estranged from friends and family. Your ability to connect with others is hampered by the same old things that always seem to kind of pop up in your relationships. Your first reaction is to judge others, and there's no grace for yourself, or for others. Uh, well, the good news is that God makes us new. And following Jesus and experiencing love is a transforming thing. But maybe you're like Paul and you're uh, still seeing everyone kind of the old ways. I want to encourage you that you are a whole new creature. You're not beholden to the old ways of doing things, the new ways have come, the old is gone. Let Jesus be the difference in your life. Let yourself be transformed in the image of Christ and let yourself be seen as the same way. As Paul says, be reconciled to God. So just to close out this talk, I want to bring back the Pimp My Ride analogy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) As a young college kid, I really wanted a fancy, shiny new car. Uh, That's something I really wanted. It was a life goal of mine. I like to think that goal might have changed now. But living in Philadelphia has changed my perspective on my transportation needs. When we first moved here, my wife and I, uh, we saw these small, tight, cramped streets with uh, lots of traffic, no parking, and it was really annoying to get around in our car. But as I've lived here, I've changed my entire mindset about what it means to tr- uh, about my transportation needs here. Now, uh, I walk pretty much a lot of places. We bike, we take SEPTA, and you know we still occasionally drive, but it's not the main way we do it. And the great thing about this is that um, this change didn't happen overnight, but now instead of seeing those small, cramped streets, um, I see neighbors on their porches. I see um, we run into friends as we walk on Baltimore Avenue, coming to going to the co-op. Um, my daughter and I, and Brianna, we literally stop to smell the roses sometimes. And as you bike, you get the wind in your hair in a way you never can when you're uh, when you're when you're driving. And I think following Jesus. Um, is kind of like changing your perspective on transportation. At first, when I began to follow Jesus, I just saw this impossible set of rules that I could never follow. But after spending time following Jesus, I began to experience life in a completely different way. Encountering and experiencing God in a real way encourages me that I'm worthy of God's grace, affection, and that others are too. And whatever differences I've had between others and myself can in no way be greater than that was between God and I. I praise God that the new is come and the old is gone. Thank you.